there is so much out there to get mad about. Social injustices, class warfare, continued colonization, the act of destruction of our planet by those focused on profits and not people. We can find it overwhelming at times. The good news is there are equally as many, if not more, stories of people coming together and rising up against the forces at play. So the creators of Blueprints of Disruption have added a new weekly segment, Ravel Rants, where we will unpack the stories that have us most riled up, share calls to action, and most importantly, celebrate resistance. All right, Jeremy, I don't think there's an audience member that doesn't know who you are. You've been on the show before, but just in case, can you introduce yourself, please? My name is Jeremy Appel. I am an independent Edmonton-based journalist and podcaster and uh, uh, forthcoming author. I should probably plug that because I think that's a difference between last time I was on. Um, I've booked about Jason Kenney coming up in February. Um, you should read it when it's out and pre-order it now uh you can do that on the publisher dungeon's website um there's a shop you go the 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 page of the book and there's a shop local tab and you hit it and you put in your postal code and it shows you an independent bookstore nearby that you can pre-order it from i, I should have probably saved that for the end but yeah <laughs> don't worry about it i mean let's talk i've seen you accused of promoting jason kenny so just to be clear it's not a, uh, I don't imagine you spend a whole lot of time praising Jason Kenny in there. You're going to scare the audience. No, there is very little praise uh, <laughs> in that book. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think my my editor did a good job sort of toning it down at, cer at, at certain points. So it's not just like an outright uh, hit job. I guess you could say, but obviously, if you like Jason Kenny or if you're to the right of him, you're probably going to hate it. It comes out on February 6th. We'll link people to it in the, the show notes. Yeah, which is a long time from now. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, no, the book publishing world is uh, is weird. I think it's just because publisher is like juggling like hundreds of like different titles at any given time so they need time to like work on all of them also you don't want to like compete with the re release of britney spears's next memoir or anything like that right it's gotta you gotta space that shit out but we'll call you back on the show for sure to get the more unhinged version whatever fell to the cutting room floor <laughs> you can bring <laughs> and share with us um Although yeah, a couple you, pages of uh, speculation about uh, his uh, uh, personal life. I'm sure it's juicy. Yeah. Well, I cut it because anyways, it doesn't matter. Well, we'll yeah. talk about it. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. We do. We, we got a bit off topic because although you talk about a lot of interesting things, I reached out to you to talk about something a lot more serious. And that is really what it's been like for you, for Jeremy, as an independent journalist, I feel like that tag was important to make at the beginning because people are right frustrated right now with what they're reading. And I see you out there constantly kind of combating the propaganda machine and the disinformation. And I wanted to call you in to get your take on all that and on, on what Canadian politics, how that's going to play into it. But 
also to check in with you to see how you're dealing. You've got a unique position both as a Jewish person and a journalist. And those are it's difficult times for both right now, is it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, thank you for uh, checking in on your uh, Jewish friend as uh um, you know, uh, all the celebs are saying you should do. <laughs> um, but no, it, it has been, uh, you know, I would be lying if I said that it wasn't a very emotionally, uh, exhausting time, uh, for myself. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's anything compared to what, uh, you know, Palestinian and Arab and Muslim people are going through now, but, but I mean, still it has been, uh, it has been very distressing. I mean, first with the attacks on October 7th, uh, as someone who has been my entire adult life, uh, a, a critic of uh, the state of Israel and supporter of Palestinian human rights, it was uh, really hard to sort of, uh, I guess, reconcile that with the the sheer horror of the you know, Hamas attacks on Israel on October 7th. And of course, you know, we we still don't have uh, an a entirely clear picture of what happened. But either way, like a lot of Israelis were killed, right? More than on any other day. Um, you know, and seeing people say, oh, it was the most amount of Jews who were killed on the day since the Holocaust. It's like, gross emotional uh manipulation but it's also technically true right and so that you know did i i mean i have family in israel uh i like them i care about them i don't agree with their uh you know political views but you know i I certainly uh don't wish them harm and uh you know uh, uh, a good friend of my parents uh had a niece who was killed um and, and so there's that but ever but everyone knew what was going to come next right in response I, to the attacks yeah and, and of course the attacks weren't they didn't just come out of nowhere they were in response to decades of uh apartheid and ethnic cleansing and a you know a siege on gaza um and, but but you know again the the Israel only has one strategy for dealing with the Palestinians and that's using um group force um to respond to any acts of uh violence uh against Israeli civilians to to do you know 10 times at least 10 times worse to them uh what was done to us quote unquote and um you know, as that week after went on in in sort of the 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 body count of Palestinians started to exceed Israelis, it was like, okay, like like October seventh is, you know, it pills in comparison to what what we're seeing in Gaza now. and and, and you know, you because I, I you know, i I know a lot of uh, pro-Israel people from my youth who I, you know, follow on Instagram, uh, and, you know, a few of them I'm still friends with, you know, so we go way back and like, they're, I be, uh, they're otherwise good, well-intentioned people. 
they just think in in a certain box they've been taught to think in where it's like us against the world and and israel is just an extension of the jewish people and um and and that's been really that distressing for me to see to see people i know from when i was a kid just outright calling for 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 genocide frankly yeah that's been that's been tough and 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 just also seeing them say oh well if you didn't have anything to say about october 7th then why are you uh why are you criticizing israel and it's like people had lots of things to say about october 7th um you know and i i certainly don't expect uh palestinian people to uh immediately rush to denounce it when i mean what hamas did on october 7th is what Israel has been doing to the Palestinians for for decades. Like even even the most grisliest unconfirmed details, like cutting a pregnant woman open and pulling the fetus out and and, and then killing them. Um, I mean that 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 is what uh, Israel uh, oversaw in the uh, you know Sabra Shatila massacre in 1982. The phalanges, the Christian militias, who massacred. Uh, almost 2,000 Palestinians in uh, like two days while the Israelis stood guard did that, right? Um, talk, talk about mass rapes. I mean, the, the I, I mean, um, that you know, you and you read accounts of the 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 the, the Nakba. I mean, the, the, the Israelis did all these things. You know, putting babies in ovens, which again appears to not have actually happened. Which I mean. It sounded really fake when I heard about it, but because because then of course all the all the Zionist propagandists were like, "Oh my God, this is literally the Holocaust." And I mean, if 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 you know Palestinians breaking out of their concentration camp in in Gaza and committing these atrocities is the Holocaust, then then what 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 do you call what Israel's doing in Gaza, right? And and uh, again, it's this mentality that frames us perpetually as as us as in jewish people as as victims who are only ever responding to like external threats and 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 it makes it hard to um have any sort of compassion uh towards uh those we commit violence against I feel like a lot of people, your average people, understand the hypocrisy that's at play. But the narratives that you're talking about, everyone talks about how the battle's going, right? We like to encourage ourselves and say, you know, we're winning this narrative. People are listening. You know, they're understanding the reality. But sometimes that's hard to see when, like, really top-down messaging is coming out that includes these like unverified claims you're talking about people that refuse to take them down some notable you know media heads we won't note them though but how does that perpetuate in such a level that we're seeing right now even when folks can see that they're using unreliable sources that they are 
you know, the whole Biden thing where he gets in front of his people and says he looked at photographs of beheaded babies and walks it back a couple days later. But yet people are still coming at us with the secretary of state blink in his words as though they're bond. Right. As though there's some yeah, yeah. sort of. Yeah. yeah. Why? Of why? Wh- anything. Why, no. Yeah, the Secretary of State of the United States, why would he lie? And it's just like, yeah, I, oh, no Secretary of State has ever, ever. lied. It, no. Yeah. But like no, people it, who should know better are throwing this guy's quotes at me as as evidence, as receipts of something. And I am just, yeah. my mind just explodes. I'm going, where did you come from? What but, but, happened to you? But just to be clear, actually, it wasn't a couple days later that the White House walked back Biden saying that he saw pictures of beheaded babies. It was immediately after. After the press conference, when when reporters reached out to the White House to be like, did he actually saw pictures? And they were like, no, he didn't. He read about it in in media. Netanyahu told him. And um, yeah, I mean, there's I've never seen a greater gap between what actual people think and what our government is, is saying, and I mean, the NDP, have, because of pressure, have gotten to a, a good position on this, I think, a, a reasonable position. You know, I really had to swallow a pill there to nod along with you. They have, they have, but it's just a yeah. letter. I'm still not satisfied, but. Yeah. And know. they're not, in, they're not, in, they're not, in, I mean, they're propping up liberal government, but they're not going to make the government fall uh, over this. So, uh, yeah, I mean, but I mean, when you look at states, I mean, Bernie Sanders will not say the word ceasefire. He can't do it. You know, I mean, that is so distressing. And I mean, you have like 10 people in Congress, literally 10 people out of nearly 500 who are being reasonable. Um, It can be really discouraging in seeing how the media often uh frames uh this conflict whereas it it started on october 7th right it only it starts whenever um israel is attacked right but what happens before that what leads up to the attack context doesn't matter the it, it right and so obviously that framing is problematic but you are seeing sort of i think punctures in that narrative you're seeing a lot more not enough and 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 i know there are many stories of of palestinian experts having their interviews canceled and you know all sorts of um injustices on that level but there are i think more palestinian voices uh being included in media narratives and because you saw, I remember in 2021, there like the amount of support for Palestine, right? Coming a year after like George Floyd in in this sort of uh really mainstreaming of Black Lives Matter. I I I I remember thinking, wow, like there's really been a a, a, a shift in narrative this time. And I think that's true this time as well, like sort of building on that. But of course, because of the October 7th attacks um, that I think led to this 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 gap between um, what um, people in the streets are, are, are saying and how they're perceiving this and people in positions of power that wasn't as clear in 2021. Um, but, um, this effort to frame it as Israel's 9-11 
on the, I mean, that works on some people, but a lot of people, it's like, yeah, and they're they're responding to it like the U.S. responded to 9-11, which we can all see now wasn't the appropriate uh, response. And I remember I was arguing with this Israeli, like quasi-Israeli government propagandist, like he works for some like think tank that's like funded by these, you, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't work for the Israeli government, but he does. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, remind me what happened after 9-11? Like, uh, how, how'd that go? And he's like, oh, remind me, what would the world be like if uh, Al-Qaeda wasn't taken out? And it's like, well, uh, I guess we wouldn't be supporting them in Syria. Um, you know, there wouldn't be ISIS. Um, uh, you know, millions of people would be alive. It's like we're experiencing like this real in right in front of us revisionist history happening. Like we're watching people shift their positions from like 10 years ago. They just right in front of us, real, real blatant, like as though it's not actually happening. And like you talk about like the bottom, you know, and what the masses think, what most people think, and then the people of power, but even the people in the power, people in power are fractured, right? Like Trudeau's out of step with a lot of his cabinet. The NDP, you know, should have had a clear position. Their members had kind of given them a clear position from the onset. They could have been on the right side, but it was really, really, really top decision makers. And Biden's rumored to be completely ignoring his advisors. And I wonder if that's going to be disastrous for these politicians down the road as well. Like, to hold on to dig into this position for so long when so many people around you are falling away from it. I, I can only imagine there's going to be blowback. And I feel like the conservatives here in Canada are just, you know, you've got your usual suspects pumping out the usual trash, but generally they're kind of laying low here as the liberals get painted as supporters of genocide. You got any predictions in terms of Canadian politics and any rightful blowback that folks will face, like Biden in particular or Trudeau? Well, in terms of Biden, I mean, you've seen his poll numbers among Arab Americans have absolutely been decimated and in, in, in rightfully so. Now, interesting, you look at that poll, it's like uh, a, a lot of Arab Americans are thinking of voting for Trump or RFK. And uh, oh, no. I found in in like not a lot for Cornell West, which is interesting because, of course, Trump is the same as Biden on this issue. Um, rhetorically, um, you know, he wouldn't be advocating for any sort of restraint like Biden is a like claims to be, but isn't in fact. So I think he would be about the same. In RFK is worse. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? After he, uh, you know, uh, on Twitter praised uh, Roger Waters and got blowback for it, he just went like full uh, Likudnik. And uh, so it's interesting. Like, I can't believe we're still even talking about him. I wish he would just fade into obscurity. You know, I do think he will help Biden. Like, if we're talking about, like, obviously, stealing votes isn't a thing. Like, you're not entitled. No one's entitled to anyone's votes. But I do think people would otherwise vote for Trump would probably uh, be more likely to vote for RFK than people would otherwise vote for Biden. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how Biden's going to win Michigan now. I mean, there are a lot of Arabs and Muslims in Michigan. And, uh, and you know, Rashida Tlaib, of course, very popular uh, congressperson, probably the only like <laughs> uh, it wouldn't be much of an exaggeration to say she's the only good uh I think that's how we're left with down there. Yeah, no. And, and Cory Bush, and Cory Bush. Um, um, you know, I mean, she's saying, yeah, I'm not going to support him. And, and, and that, I I, I think uh, that, that that carries a lot of weight among, like, working class people in Detroit and, of course, uh, Arabs and Muslims. Uh, here in Canada, um, it will be, I don't know. I mean, because on the one hand, obviously, Canada doesn't have the same amount of power to put a stop to this as, as as the United States does, right? We aren't directly uh, funding the Israeli military in the same way that the United States is. Of course, we fund the Palestinian Authority uh, directly, which exists to uh, protect Israelis from Palestinians. Uh, in, in the West Bank, at least, um, where they're nominally nominally uh, in power. Um, and, you know, we have a free trade agreement with Israel. I mean, so we do have leverage. And anyone who says we don't in that uh, the U.S. Uh, is also powerless is is lying. We, we absolutely do uh, have leverage over Israel. Um, are we going to use it? No. Um but it will be interesting to see, uh, uh, you know, Trudeau has been calling for a humanitarian pause for, I don't know, a week or two now, which is, I mean, useless. But it will be interesting to see if the pressure on him works, right? I mean, you have, uh, you know, more. Uh, I think a couple dozen liberal MPs calling for a ceasefire now. Uh, offices are were, were occupied last week, including Randy Boisno here in Edmonton. Um, and, I mean, it worked with the NDP. I mean, after, you know, Jenny Kwan and Jagmeet Singh and Randall Garrison's offices were occupied, the NDP came out and were like, I mean, they already supported a ceasefire, but they went beyond that, saying we need to cut off arms sales to Israel. We need to end the siege of Gaza. We right, and, well, and, and, and like so- you mentioned, like that requires a far less hard commitment from the NDP. Right? They now just have to issue a letter, show all their signatures on social media, and it seems like they think their job is done. And you know, I understand your point earlier about they don't hold much leverage over the liberals, although that is their marketing scheme, right? Like they take credit for everything the liberals do because of the influence that they wield. And then they cry that they don't have any, but I'm so disappointed in the MPs that exist there that are persons that can do a lot of things to show what side they're on, right? They've completely lost their voice. They can occupy offices. They can help lead actions. There's nothing preventing them from doing this except fear of reprisal, but that's not stopping everybody else out here sticking their neck out for Palestine, right? And these folks have made immense connections. They have, many of them are guaranteed pensions and still won't stick their neck out at this point. And you know, that's why, again, I'm not satisfied with that letter, even though they, they do take a really good position. It goes beyond the ceasefire. And 
the fact that we get really excited that people are calling for just a ceasefire at this point is really frustrating, but I know we have to get what we can get, but you know, but, but yeah, I mean, a lot of liberal MPs are calling because they're listening to their constituents who are saying, you know, ceasefire is the bare minimum, right? Because if we have a ceasefire and also, you know, release the hostages on, on then we're just back to the status quo before October 7th. Right. And and the status quo before October 7th led to October 7th and led to what we're seeing in Gaza now. So um, obviously we need to go beyond that. And it is good to see the NDP say that. But are they going to do anything about it? Of course not. Of course not. You know, I I, I asked, you know, I interviewed Heather McPherson, who's actually my MP. And, you know, I like Heather. I don't agree with her on everything, but I think she um, has her heart in the right place. And, uh, yeah, I interviewed her on the Forgotten Corner with my co-host, Scott Schmidt, and we talked about Ukraine a bunch and about Palestine. And I was like, when it comes to Ukraine, we're saying not only should we send weapons to Ukraine, but we need to send as many weapons to Ukraine as they're asking us for, right? That's her position. Now, on Palestine, she's saying, no, we need to stop the violence whether it's from Israel or the Palestinians, and we need to put pressure on Israel as the more powerful party. But, you know, I mean, there's a clear cognitive dis, And obviously Ukraine and Palestine aren't the exact same. There are similarities and differences with the the, the conflict in, in Ukraine. But she didn't, she didn't really have an answer. She was like, look, we're not perfect. Like she, she said that she's like, look, we're not perfectly consistent. I get that, but we're the best you have or, or something like that, which is on the one hand is very cynical, but on the other hand, it was like refreshingly honest for her to be like, yeah, we're not like there, you know, that she didn't have a good answer and she acknowledged that. So I think that's where a lot of the personal attacks come from online, where you kind of get to this point in the argument where there is no defending it, right? There is no real explanation as to why, not that you can say out loud, to why Palestine would be denied the right to arm resistance and we arm Ukraine to the teeth, right? Because there there really is no end. It has to stop there. Then it denigrates to, you know, calling absolutely everybody who speaks against Israel an anti-Semite. Or the way that folks come after people like Fred Hahn and Sarah Gemma. And then when you come Mm -hmm. back and say, give me the quote, what upset you the most? What was the anti-Semitic line in her statement or an action she took, you know, and then it just degrades from there. There is no receipts or, you know, there is no mass protests in favor of Israel because, I mean, those signs would be really hard to make. There's, it's really hard to justify that. And so <laughs> at least she is being refreshingly honest rather than trying to scramble to an answer to that, because yeah, there, there really is no answer that you could say other than colonialism, right? We support what Israel's doing because that is a model that we set for them. That's a model that we have followed before. Palestinians don't have the right to arm resistance because that would not work well for us. That is not part of our history. You know, that is not something that they recognize as being valid. Well, I, I think it's important, though, to distinguish when we're talking about Palestinian right to arm resistance, that the, it isn't absolute. Like a lot of what Hamas did on October 7th, I don't think would 
fall under the category of uh, legitimate armed resistance. No, but nobody you, would you know, dream of sending weapons to Palestine. Like if you right, ask right, right. the Canadian Parliament, can we offer a $32 million package for armored tanks for Palestinians yeah. to defend themselves in the West Bank as settlers try to take their town, right? Illegally right now and and, and all year it's been on the increase, right? We, we would never think to allow supplied them with anything to defend themselves. So not so much like justifying every horrible act that an armed extension of people commits, but even the idea that they could, even the idea of firing a rocket is so abhorrent, right? Like that is something that is, will erase the occupation in the discussion. Yeah, but, yeah, but they fire rockets indiscriminately into Israel. And it's like, well, I can't figure out what would be acceptable then. Right. Like what only precision guided weapons only, you know, like it just becomes such an obvious hypocritical position that, you know, they can't say without saying either they're completely racist or pro-Zionist. So, yeah, no, it's definitely not to condone any form of resistance in the same way that nobody condones the most horrible things the U.S. has committed in their war, right? Even though Americans would defend the war and their troops and all of that, it, they would still acknowledge the things that had happened. The civilian casualties, the, what do they call it, collateral damage, is not wanted, is not something to celebrate, you know? So, but yeah, there's just completely different standards when we come into this discussion. I uh, I want to shift a little bit to your role as a journalist now. And that must be difficult to watch, you know, the numbers, the same as we've seen a higher death rate of children in Gaza than like armed conflict over the last few years. That is the same with the amount of journalists that we've lost in this conflict, if that's even an adequate word for what's happening, where... It's hard to dispute at this point that the IDF is targeting Al Jazeera journalists and, and other journalists, but there are still people online that are, are saying otherwise. Yeah, like NATO Joe. Uh, who's <laughs> we don't like to talk about his... Joe on this <laughs> this program, but uh, that's exactly who I'm talking about. You got it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. And he's doing his, oh, I left the left arc. And I mean... You know, I, I, I'm good for him on uh, becoming a National Post columnist. Uh, I hope it pays well. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's uh, again, we're seeing exactly what's happening, and there's just all these figures in Canadian media, not to mention government, telling us that. It's it's not what it looks like. It's actually the opposite of what it looks like. That that yeah. The the grossest talking point for me is that oh no 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 Palestinians are suffering under Hamas. We're helping Palestinians by flattening their neighborhoods. Um, and and then when you ask, okay, well, once this is all done, do you expect a Palestinian person who's lost their entire family to be? more have a more favorable disposition towards Israel or less they say oh that doesn't matter we need to destroy him and it's like but you just said that you support uh the Palestinians and and it's just so phony 
it's such a phony talking point. And again, no one outside of these like media circles believes this shit. And in, in, in people who like care about what these pundits have to say. And, you know, and there's a generational divide too. There's a very clear generational divide. Like our parents' generation, which came right after the Holocaust, you know, and, and they saw sort of Israel as this great uh, redemption narrative and just refused to believe it's anything but that. Um, but I think, again, among younger people, especially people younger than ourselves, it's like, how do you justify this? Like, why why is the Holocaust, why are the Palestinians being scapegoated for the Holocaust? Um and and and, and, and you know, people saying that uh, oh uh, October 7th was like a second Holocaust, it's like, well, if killing 1400 people, largely civilians, though again, we don't know the total tally, but a, a lot of them are were clearly civilians, then what is killing uh 9,000 in, 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 in growing people. Um, and again, I mean, Israel's not even in, in, in past conflicts. I think Israel put a lot more emphasis on the fact that, oh, we're trying so hard to limit civilian casualties, but they, they just keep getting in the way. Um, Human shield. Now, yeah, yeah. Now it's just like, okay, we need a million of you to, to, in in one of the most densely populated places on earth to locate to relocate to half of it making it uh, i i mean i would assume that that would that if israel does wipe out northern gaza and creates this like security buffer and confines everyone to southern gaza unless they uh flee elsewhere um which by the way they currently aren't allowed to do even if they want to um I mean, that would make it, I, I suspect, by far the most densely populated place on Earth. But I, I, I don't have the statistics in front of me. But just framing this, which is an act of ethnic cleansing, you're telling a million people to leave their homes and they're not going to have anything left when this is done. And saying, in trying to pressure Egypt into resettling them. And the Western nations will play a role in that, too. In yeah. Hiding their involvement, coming out looking like roses by taking in refugees or aiding in the resettlement. Yeah, yeah. well, I don't know if you... The liberals will be like, yay. I don't know if you saw that piece in 972 uh, Mag, which is a great Israeli-Palestinian publication that I think your um, listeners should read. Um I mean, that is the plan, right? The the the, the Israeli intelligence uh, ministry, which the piece notes isn't like a decision-making body and sort of makes suggestions that are or aren't uh, um, taken up by the, the government and the military. It was like, yeah, we need to relocate all of Gaza to the Sinai or have them resettled elsewhere. And um, yeah, and we're going to ask that and we're going to present it as we're doing them a favor. We're trying to limit civilian casualties by pushing them elsewhere. And, you know, people, you know, otherwise people who are like generally quite reasonable um, on this subject that I've spoken to and are critical of Israel are like, yeah, well, but 
that's not the official policy of the Israeli government. It's just this one ministry making suggestions. But the first part of that plan has already been implemented, which is clearing out northern Gaza, right? Reducing Gaza City to rubble, which is now it seems to be what what they're sending uh, Israeli soldiers to do and just shoot anything. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, more people... You know the Srebrenica, uh, uh, you know massacre in 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 the the 1990s that Serbia uh, committed against Bosnian Muslims killed 8,000 people, and, and now we're at 9,000 people in Gaza. I, I mean, by the time this episode is out, I don't I don't recall what your sort of turnaround is, um, but pretty quick. I mean, it'll probably be 10,000, right? And and uh, no one's doing anything. I mean, I shouldn't say Western because it's one thing, you know, to to say, you know, it's easy to say, oh, Western governments are, aren't doing anything to stop it. It's more it's worse than that. The, the United States is actively abetting it. I mean, they just approved uh, $3.5 billion for Israel that has no congressional oversight or anything, right? Just like giving them money with like no like i only want to say no strings attached because usa to israel already has no strings attached but this is like well especially when you position it amongst what's happening right now like how can you at the same time ask for restraint and then give them unconditional funds to right. yeah in, in canada too i'm I'm looking into this sense. actually i i'm working on a piece today for the maple that because canada sent a special ops team to israel right I don't know if you caught that piece in Global. We did. We covered that on our last show, the special task yeah. force. Right, exactly. And we also uh, flew a when we were evacuating Israelis uh, a, a few weeks ago. We flew a couple of plane loads of Israelis back to Israel and Global Affairs Canada uh, essentially won't say whether they were uh, reservists or not. Um, but I asked them about it, and they said they weren't explicitly reservists, which I uh, explicitly seems to be doing a lot of work in that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we're totally uh, complicit. And that's I was talking to a friend of mine o over the weekend who's, uh, you know, works in media. You know, they're progressive. Uh, you know, they're a reporter, so they have to, you know, do the whole neutrality thing. But they, they don't cover, like, global affairs or anything. But they're just saying... Yeah, I've been avoiding uh, this topic because, like, I know it's horrible, but I don't have any skin in the game, right? I'm not Palestinian. I'm not Jewish. And it's like, no, but you're Canadian, so you do have skin in the game because we're complicit. <laughs> not only are we possibly flying reservists to participate in this um ethnic cleansing campaign in Gaza, and we're sending a special forces team to do that, which the government says is just to like protect our consulate. But I'm confused as to why special forces team would be needed to do that. But I'm also not a military expert. So that could be a, a valid explanation. But we also have a free trade agreement with Israel that is horribly um, skewed. I, I, I mean, goods produced in illegal settlements um, have no tariffs on them. And I mean, that's a good uh, 
again, I don't expect the Canadian government to call for Palestinian liberation or BDS uh, or yeah, or certainly not Trudeau BDS or anything. It's an evil thing overnight. Yeah, yeah. No, there was a great piece in the Maple yesterday or the day before. I don't know if you saw it from Alex Kosh, whose work on this has been fantastic. This friend of mine, shout out to Alex. Um, that was like every nonviolent form of Palestinian resistance has been condemned by Canada, right? Yep. United Nations resolutions, BDS, uh, Israel Apartheid Week. And we know, uh, we know what happens when we cut off everybody's avenue to change. Right. Like even within small institutions, you get disturbances, right? People who need to break out of the processes because they don't work. They're not doing anything. And so, yeah, like you point to the march of return for folks in Gaza and they were just mowed down. Right. With the policy of shoot to injure, especially. So the casualties were still over 200 dead, but thousands, thousands injured. Again, media targeted, medics targeted, and that was simply a march, right? It was to the wall, you know, and if you describe it and understand it as a prison, it does, it's easy to frame it as a violent act, right? That's the whole idea. But absolutely everything, even simple things like simple actions to push IDF off of campuses were met with ab resistance, slander, you know, mm -hmm. just that isn't, that is an anti-Jewish thing to do. It's, you know, taking even an anti-Israeli position is such a, has been labeled as un-Canadian, <laughs> you know, and I guess, again, I go back to that point where you start looking and reminding ourselves how colonial we are still right and how we frame our foreign policy that way it you know it, it doesn't become so puzzling as to why we try to fend off any criticism of us i think there's a lot of projection there in terms of canada's own actions and and that of and that of israel but you talk about the role of the media how do you see your role how do you it as an independent journalist going up against publications like the National Post that so ironic for Joe Roberts to frame Al Jazeera as simply a propaganda machine, right? He calls it a state-owned enterprise. What's the quote? Under the charade of objective journalism is a propaganda machine designed to subvert U.S. interests. I don't know how else you describe our media most of the time, just with the opposite goals, you know, of propping up U.S. and Canadian interests, capital interests. But there's a real attempt to invalidate the one set of journalists that we can somehow rely on from inside Gaza and and the West Bank. But you're a little bit more removed, right? So what's your role as an independent journalist? And, I, and it's really complicated because then how do you focus on anything else? Maybe that's like a two-part question because I'm struggling that with that as well. Yeah, like, I, I, I mean, it's it's been a struggle. I mean, you know, I, I have a book coming out about Canadian and Alberta politics. And, um, uh, and I mean, it's 
coming out in in a few months right so it's not like i have to be promoting it uh aggressively right now but it's like yeah i mean i can't just seeing um how there's no voice in almost no voice in canadian uh punditry um criticize i mean ever everyone is be besides shri pardkar every like regular canadian columnist has either said nothing or talked about how um israel is preventing another holocaust by um, uh, flattening refugee camps and bombing hospitals and ambulances and and using white phosphorus on 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 united nations schools i mean this is evil shit evil right and and the same people who are talking about the evils of Hamas, and I look. I agree. I agree. Like Hamas is, and uh, again, it's easy for me to say, and I don't expect Palestinian people um, to make this observation as a condition for solidarity with them. But Hamas is a sinister, authoritarian, religious fundamentalist uh, movement that is profoundly uh, conservative, but. You have to look at the big picture. When you look at the big picture, it, it becomes clear that we're not the good guys, right? We're like, we're, right, and and not right. Like this isn't. There's this lazy binary thinking that 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 that, that geopolitics doesn't exist, and they're just good guys who are us and bad guys who are them. That but there are no more obvious as as it has yeah. been right now. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not, again, in anything you say in support of the Palestinians that actually listens to what Palestinian people are saying is you're pro-Hamas. You support, um, you know, all these... Uh, Which comes with the terrorist uh, quote, right? Or the terrorist yeah, association. Yeah, so not just yeah. Hamas, but terrorism. Right, right. As a whole. Like is Islamic Jihad... Yeah. You know, the, the PFLP, which I mean, the PFLP, I, 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 I'm not going to say I support the PFLP, but I am uh, uh, certainly sympathetic to the aims of their political, um, their political win. Um, and um, yeah, like just saying, oh, saying from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free is a call for genocide. Like on what planet? On what planet is saying Again, everyone? Again, from a real colonial lens, right? If you are looking at it from that colonial perspective of like savages and the civilized, there are people that are viewing it this way. They're looking at land back in a different way now. Like they do believe it. They believe because if you look at the basis of Zionism, that like has to be one religion right like it's it is an exclusionary idea and so they think in that way because that's how they've lived and so you know it's the same way i think that people like canadians are just going well is that how you'd feel if indigenous people just started trying to take land back in the same way hamas did on october 7th again like a real kind of revisionist history but that's how they view it right it's projection that's that's how Israel has gotten to where they are. They have removed Palestinians as they claim land, right? So any assertion that Palestinians should claim land back, they assume would mean removing Jewish people because that is how apartheid works. That's 
that is what they've lived and breathed and, and, and been taught that is the only solution. And so that's how I think people misinterpret that, not to mention it's perpetuated by people who don't, who probably do know better and are just saying this to demonize Palestinian supporters in all the way that they do. But I think some people then hear it and believe it because that's what they've seen. And they've seen Canada do it to indigenous people. You know, when you need a land, you wipe out what's there, right? Some may survive in some fashion or another, but not without assimilation and all of these definitions that do encompass genocide. And yeah, so, but that is very frustrating. And I'm proud to see Palestinians not back down from that because I know organizing about eight years ago, you know, it, it's not the first time that chant has been focused on as meaning something that it doesn't. But it was the response of a lot of, not every, but a lot of organizations that were pushing for Palestinian rights at the time was to ask supporters not to chant that. And, you know, that's not a decision for me to make. I'm usually just a participant. Well, you at know, I remember... sit right. I remember back in the day, uh, the chant Viva Viva Palestina, Viva Viva Intifada, which is now just yes. Viva Viva Palestina. Like they dropped that because people are saying, oh, it's called violence, which is, of course, bullshit. But it can be interpreted that way. But from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. I mean, that like, yeah, no, like people who are telling you that that is calling for the elimination of the state of Israel, which, I mean, I guess you could interpret it that way, but you could, I mean, it's just saying that Palestinians leave, living between two bodies of water should have the same rights as as Jewish people do. And if that is the destruction of the state of Israel, then should the state of Israel exist as, as a Jewish state? And, and I think the answer to that question is obvious. Um, but but yeah, and, and then the, the extension that, oh, this is calling for genocide of Jews. How? How? Like, like, first of all, you're conflating the existence of Jewish people with the existence of the state of Israel, which to me is anti-Semitic. And then you're saying that that like you're conflating states with people. States don't have rights to exist. They 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 exist. There, there's reality of their existence that people have to contend with, but it's people. It's people have a right to exist. And if that's the best they can do, if they're saying there are these anti-Semitic rallies all over the world because they're calling for everyone to have equal rights between two bodies of, of, of water, what does that tell you? What, what does that tell you about, about this, this narrative that, that is being um, perpetuated in the media? But I think few people uh, seem um, to be because they're like, like, you know, you read the Globe Mail, like this is in general, but definitely, especially on this issue. <laughs> well, no, but you read its reporting. I get it. I get the paper on, on, on the Saturday paper and just read it over the weekend. But you read the reporting and it's like you learn something like you, often you have to read between the lines and you have to sort of uh, weigh different points of view which aren't always of equal worth but you learn something often when you when you read the reporting in in a paper like Globe and Mail then you go to the opinion page where it lays out what opinions you're allowed to have and 
it's it, it, they don't jive yeah yeah, yeah. And, it, 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 and it's just like the most repugnant shit that is 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 is, is it's just pure ideology right it's pure ideology not that ideology doesn't in fact the way people like report the news because it absolutely does including yourself right yeah of course and and the difference is i'm open about that and you know i sort of sometimes blur reporting with analysis and opinion um but yeah i mean you learn something um but I mean, there's nothing to learn from these minds, and there's no, there's no even acknowledgement that that there's another perspective to it. And uh, again, I've seen, you know, and I think the only, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the only Canadian newspaper that actually does foreign reporting anymore is the Globe. And like I, you know, I think uh, like Jeffrey York and Mark McKinnon and uh others have have done uh, a a good job i think at, at, at and i think a lot of people disagree with me but they've done a good enough job like presenting what's going on accurately without explicitly telling you what is going on right but then you read andrew coin and robin urbach and 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 uh uh marcus g and um Conrad Yakubuski, and it's just like, what are you talking about? Like, go out and talk to someone. Like, you know what I mean? Like, meet a person. That's not all anyone is reading, right? Because if it was, when you pair these kind of so-called unbiased reportings with highly inflammatory opinion pieces, you you come out with one end unless you've got someone that's real critical thinking, trying to dissect what they're reading and, and taking the effort to look beyond that. But so, so few do that, right? So it's it ends up being left to independent journalists like yourself and, and other folks for saying that quiet part out loud. Oh, saying oh, 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 yeah. McKinnon won't say. Which reminds me, uh, because to directly answer your question, the, the the job of a writer. I don't know if you saw Tanahisi Coates on Democracy Now yesterday yeah. talking about his experience in, in Gaza. Visit, actually visiting, I think it was actually the West Bank. I don't know if he went to Gaza, but um, and just saying that, like the, I, I, it really resonated with me when he said the job of a writer is to bear witness. Right. It's to be honest and tell people what 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 you're seeing and and in that of all people, writers should be the first ones to speak out about this. Um, and, um, you know, it's fine because I remember back. You remember when Cornell West and Tommy Heasey Coates had their had their like feud and, and, and one of Cornell West's points that I thought was valid was he's like, you never hear Tommy C. Coates talk about Palestine. Like, what, uh, why is that? Why isn't he like challenging power in that way? And now he is. And so, I mean, it is good to see. And I do think it's a sign that the narrative is shifting the question. Because I don't think, I don't expect Palestinian people to care what the West, that the Western narrative is, is, is shifting. Like Western sympathy isn't going to give them their rights. I mean, it will play a role. You know, it, it certainly doesn't hurt, but I mean, I think the narrative clearly is shifting on this topic. And I, I think, again, if you read the op-ed pages of our newspapers, 
or if you read this like really you know neutral reporting that is is supposedly just the facts it's hard to see that but then you see what's happening in the streets right you see massive protests like i in and um that are growing and in the pro israel side isn't growing same people right in, in fact, anything, it's getting small. I would say, yeah, it's shrinking because it's becoming harder and right. harder to hold that line. Like on, on October 7th, October 8th, they had many people on their side, right? Felt like everything. Yeah, because people who know the history and context were like, yeah, well, you're about to do way worse and have done way worse. But, but it, it's just... I. You know, I think I think I saw David Kleon, who writes for um, Jewish Currents and N Plus One, and um, made, tweeted that like Israel's like saying a world record for like burning uh, international goodwill, um, and yeah, I mean it's going to be hard once the dust settles for this for people to justify not boycotting Israel, right? For people to want to engage with Israel when, um, I mean, clearly, you know, this apartheid system, of course, is bad for Palestinians. Of course, it's bad for, um, you know, Arabs in southern Lebanon and Egypt and Jordan. But it's also bad for Israelis because it leads to things like October 7th, Right. And, 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 and I, I think that is uh, an, a, an important point, too. Right. That, you know, I think Archbishop Tutu said when he was talking about Palestine, you know, he's saying like going through the checkpoints and seeing these Palestinians being brutalized. It's also and I'm trying to say this in a way that isn't centering the sort of Israeli experience like you see sometimes, but it also does damage the 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 souls of, of of the occupiers right to see these kids just manning checkpoints or invading gaza city i mean that and, and again we shouldn't use this to detract from the suffering of the palestinians which is no, far, far worse but but it's also bad for the occupiers right it's all like it is and it's important it, to understand their psyche right to how this is perpetuated, right? How they mm -hmm. can dance outside of an open air prison and not be impacted in that way, you know, to, because a lot of people want to look to the people of Israel to change their government, you know, but I think like, I, we lose sight of how, but, but like change their government, we are in changing our own government for the better, right? As but, but change so. their, go ahead. Change their government to what? I mean, the uh, the entire Zionist political spectrum in Israel supports the war, right? It, it, it's only a, a handful of the war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This campaign of slaughter. It's uh, it, right. I mean, yeah. the entire mainstream Israeli, uh, right? All the people who were protesting Netanyahu, they were protesting for the Palestinians. Some were. Somewhere, and I supported the protests because there's something to build on, right? But now they're all they're all uh, fired up to um, 
take revenge on on, on Palestine. And of course, the October the attacks of October seventh were revenge, right? And I don't want to be both sidesy about it, but there is a cycle of violence, right? And well, that doesn't that Hamas, does, Hamas issues another statement saying we are going to keep attacking in response to this. And I'm still shocked at how many people see that statement presented as evidence of how, like, how barbaric they are, but in the midst of a campaign of revenge. Like yeah, in why? a campaign of revenge that you've acknowledged is revenge, most part. Some are just like, oh, we're weeding yeah. out Hamas. But no, in general, it's like an eye for an eye. This is what you get. You supported Hamas. You didn't remove them. You let them build tunnels instead of water pipe. Like just the most nonsense nonsense coming out it's and then to just narrow that ability or that right for revenge just to the state of israel that only they can be justified in you know they call it defense in this but if hamas were to return if hamas were to respond to the death of over four thousand of their children Right. Because you're calling them human shields. You are saying these are families of Hamas, essentially. Right. That is the line that's being told. What do you think those fighters are going to do now? What if they were so angry and backs to the wall and responded in that horrific way? I can't I can't understand how people can't look at Hamas saying we're going to do this again and and see anything but well i i guess yeah that's what that's what happens right but no it's this shock this like how could they you see you see we're justified and it's like no you don't understand that's the receipts that you are not justified that your your tactics are not going to work but i think like if you really boil it down I, we don't have time to get into it today but i don't i think you you and i both know and a lot of people know that it's not even about hamas you know, you hit on it at the beginning that it is a land grab. And just like we use the war on terror to justify, you know, solidifying oil reserves and, you know, getting contracts in all of these countries and whatnot. And very little of it had to do with actually rooting out militant groups, whether you call them terrorists or not. Right. It's always about getting land and then selling it as something else. Right. So those intelligence reports that we see that advocate for moving everybody out of the north of Gaza, that'll be used in the same way the weapons of mass destruction, like these memos that are used to then justify what what was already been in the cards for a long time, right? Like, Yeah, exactly. And that, that is another thing about October 7th. I mean, it gave these the, the openly exterminationist Israeli government the opportunity to do what it's said it wants to do. And people, uh, you know point to that interview with that Hamas official as like this uh smoking gun that that uh Hamas wants nothing more but to commit violence against Israeli Jews and it's just like look at what the Israeli government people in the Israeli government have been saying for I mean look Itamar Ben Gavir right or Netanyahu himself, or even, I mean, talking about how there is no alternative in Israel, I mean, the president of Israel, which is supposed to be this, like, governor general type position figurehead. that is a figurehead, but he was the leader of the Labour Party 
before he was appointed, and he's saying there are no civilians in Gaza. It's their own fault. If they should have thought about this um, before and overthrown Hamas, and right, and 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 again, um, there. They're being like deliberately obtuse when 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 they just point at Hamas and pretend that this doesn't exist in any sort of like continuum. That's just this vacuum of Hamas, and that this is like how can you compare? How can you compare the this bombing of this open air prison, this this deliberately disproportionate, indiscriminate bombing? of an open-air prison, an ethnic cleansing therein, to the fight against the Nazis. Like, that is grotesque. It is so grotesque. And, again, I think when the dust fells, a lot of people are going to say, oh, yeah, you know, I I didn't realize how bad it was, or I didn't get, I didn't know. Fucking Joe Roberts goes around saying that he was against it all along. He knew all along that. Hope you took screenshots. Yeah, yeah. Don't let them forget. These people should never be allowed to forget what they supported when it mattered. And I'm just saying, especially because the the right wingers are gonna whatever they're they're gonna go to their deathbed saying that this was justified. But but the liberals, the the more centrist types or center right types, like they cannot be allowed to forget that when it mattered, they fully supported this campaign of ethnic cleansing and um like no pressure but it's going to be up to folks like you to make sure that folks don't forget right the canadian all public especially political memories are very short we allow Mm -hmm. folks to spin the hell out of this down the road and so you know you you've got a big role to play there and along with other people you know it's not on all your back but before we go i wanted to get your reaction on something and in a way i guess it asks a question of what would you do? You know, we hear uh, some statements coming out from people working at the BBC that anchors and staff are crying at their desks, having to pump out Israeli propaganda in a time like this and how, you know, that internal struggle and how do they live with themselves? Lots of people are calling for resignations of MPs, you know, having that platform and, and not adequately using it. What would you do if you were a BBC anchor or you had one of these positions where clearly the pressure is on to tow a certain line that is genocide? This isn't just any old capitalist policy, right? Like this is something next level so be an armchair journalist for a moment not that you aren't one but like of the folks that we're being really critical of like what would you do in that position what should they be doing instead of this i mean yeah i i do think we should feel feel sorry for um them because at the end of the day they i mean there aren't a lot of media jobs around and not everyone can do what I do and just go independent and depend on, uh, the good build an audience and, and depend on, on, on people's goodwill. So I am empathetic to that, especially people who, but I mean, when you have journalists getting Palestinian journalists getting fired for 
simply speaking out against what, what what's happening to their people should never happen to an Israeli journalist or Jewish journalist. No. I mean, yeah, I mean, the least you could do is speak out and say, this is wrong. You know, and I know you're going to, you don't want to get reprisals, but there are more of us than there are of them. And so I, I would, it's easy for me to say in my position, right? I mean, you saw in 2021, there was that letter signed by hundreds of Canadian uh, journalists critiquing um, the way uh, Canadian media frames this conflict. And a lot of them, are silent, right? They because they they got a backlash for it, right? I mean, there is a, you know this honest reporting Canada, for example, right? This pro-Israel um um media watchdog. I mean, they're open about it. they're bragging that they got these two journalists fired, and they're saying this is an example to anyone. If you uh express anti-Israel sentiment, we will hold you accountable. And I I all, all I can say is just don't be intimidated, right? I mean, there are people who value what you do. And again, it's hard because there is a certain degree of security with a job. But for me, I can just speak to my own experience. I'm not going to tell people what to do because I do empathize with the situation they're in, which is nothing compared to what Palestinians in Gaza are going through, but I, I, I get it. It's just, think about when the dust settles and, and, and you look back on this. Will you be able to live with the fact that you didn't do the, the few things within your power to at least try and put a stop to this? And I don't know, maybe some people are okay with that. Right. Because they were just like, yeah, I got a family to feed and and I, I, I can't risk job security over speaking out about something I don't like have direct control over. But but for me, it's like I, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if if I, I didn't do like everything in my power right now, which isn't a lot to you know, to bear witness. And, um, you know, I, I think it's easy to, to focus on, to just try and focus on other things and just ignore what's going on. But this is, I mean, this is serious stuff. And, 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 um, again, the more people that speak out, the harder it is for, um, these pro-Israel groups to, to target them. Um, and, and just remember that you're going to get called anti-Semitic, but the, you don't have to disprove you're anti-Semitic. These people have to prove that you're anti-Semitic. And again, if the best they can do is saying that you said that everyone between the Jordan River and Mediterranean Sea should have equal rights, if that's the most anti-Semitic thing that you've ever said, then... You're good. No one believes that shit. Like your bosses, mate. And and again, that that's the problem. But you know, we now is not the time for cowardice, right? Now is the time for courage, which is in very short supply, as you can see. And so, 
again, I get it. You, you have a job. You need to provide for your family or for yourself. But like, just think of the bigger picture here and, 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 and see that, that, that the media can manufacture whatever consent it wants, but, but the people are largely on your side. And, um, again, I don't, I don't expect journalists to, you know, organize pro-Palestine marches or criticize their bosses when they make shitty editorial decisions, although that would be nice. Just go to, go to the protest, not as a journalist, just as a, a human being, right? Strength in numbers. You know, wear a mask if if you don't you be want wearing a mask anyway. Yeah, I, yeah, I, exactly. But the, 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 all the more reason to wear a mask. Um, and uh, yeah, like individually we can't do much, but together we can do a lot more. And I, I think the the tide is turning. It's just turning slower than it needs to be. And, and, and that's really, um, you know, distressing when you think about it that way. But uh, again, um, people can contribute to the cause in different ways. Right. And, um, just do something, do something, even if it's tiny, like, like we need all hands on deck here. Right. Because we are, we are up against very influential forces. But together, we can be an influential counterforce. Thank you, Jeremy, for those words there to encourage folks, but for doing a lot of the heavy lifting up there. I know you're going to say it pales in comparison to what Palestinians are doing, even the diaspora, and we get that. But I also see you sticking your neck out there and taking some blows, whether you read them or mute them or block them. I know some of them get through, and I want to just encourage you to just keep it up and know that you make space for people when you do what you do. And, you know, even for folks like me, but also for just regular people talking to their family and feeling validated and having some of the receipts to back up the things that they need to say and, and getting it from sources that they know they can trust. So thank you. Both. Thank you, Jeremy, for coming on the show and for all of your hard work. Thanks for having me, Jess. Always, always a pleasure. That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.